Well, happy Lord's Day, everybody. Pastor Steve Hogg here. Welcome to this online service from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. Uh, Brother Chris Howell, who has been our pastor to college and high school students, has resigned because God is calling him to be a pastor, has a passion for preaching, and so he's going to be moving to a church in the Gastonia, North Carolina area, where he will serve as their senior pastor. I invited Chris on his last Sunday at First Baptist to preach one more time to our family of faith, and we're going to share his message with you Today, So I'm going to pray, and then you'll hear Brother Chris. And let me ask you, encourage you, be praying for him as he moves into this new ministry role as a senior pastor. Father, we thank you for your love and kindness in our lives, for the way you call each of us not only to know you, but serve you. I thank you for Brother Chris and his faithfulness to you. And I pray as he moves into this new ministry that you will have your hand of favor and blessing on him as he pastors and preaches and leads your people in that particular church. And now, Father, as people everywhere hear and see this message, speak to them where they are to the glory of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, church, or good afternoon. I'm not sure when you're watching this today. It's always kind of a, a tricky thing when you're recording is when is somebody going to watch this. Uh, but today's kind of a bittersweet day for me. Uh, maybe for those that didn't hear, uh, on October the 2nd, I submitted my resignation as the high school college pastor at First Baptist. And uh, today is my last day uh, preaching online and also preaching uh, live in the service, uh, at least for a season, perhaps. You know, who knows? Maybe Pastor Steve will invite me back uh, to do something. I don't know. It's, either way, I'm okay, but it's a, it's a bittersweet moment. Um, I've built some friendships here, Diane and I have, within the student ministry and parents and then within the church body. Uh, we are thankful, uh, very thankful for the opportunities that Pastor Steve and the staff have given us, uh, the way they've loved on us, the way they've um, just kind of taken us in as family. And uh, But now God has a different plan for us. He's transitioning us from Rock Hill to Gastonia, uh, a place that we're very familiar with because we are both from there, a place where I served in the ministry for 17 years. Uh, and so he's sending us to another church um, where I'll get to be the senior pastor where I'll be preaching every week. And so instead of having uh, two or three months to come up with a, a, what I hope would be a decent sermon, I got to figure out how to come up with it every six days or every seven days. Um, but I think God's going to provide. But with that being in mind, I wanted to kind of leave with my last sermon here uh, that would just give you some information um, that would help you. Uh, because here's the truth. At the end of the day, we all finish something. And the goal is to finish well, at least it should be. In the spring of 1989, I ran track for Clover High School. Uh, well, let me clarify. I pole vaulted for Clover High School. Matter of fact, I was the first student uh, in Clover High School's history to ever pole vault. Um, I held the record uh, with the highest jump, at least just for a season. Uh, the next year, they had a Japanese exchange student come in, and uh, he just blew my record away. And matter of fact, I believe he set the record. But pole vaulting consisting, consists of running 40 yards at a time. Uh, planting the pole anywhere from, I don't know, that's 10 to 17 foot tall. Uh, I couldn't tell you how tall my pole was at the time. Maybe it was 12 foot tall. I'm not sure. In a box and then launching yourself over a crossbar. Uh, it was so much fun. I know what some of you are thinking. There is no way I'm doing that. Uh, I, I would say don't knock it till you try it, but don't try it after 30. Uh, it could be very deadly. 
However, there was a, a warm spring day. We went down to the Columbia area. I don't remember which school, and we were t- participating in a track meet. I had taken my pole. I was ready to pole vault. I was ready to do my thing. And then I can remember Coach Simpkins and Coach Hudgens. They came to me and they said, uh, "Hey, Chris, we we, we got to ask you a favor." And I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a people pleaser, so I'm like, "Coach, whatever you got, I'll do." And he's like, "Well, we're going to need you to participate in a particular event that only has just a couple people in it. And matter of fact, if you if you just finish the race, um, you'll place, and then we'll get some points and perhaps win the meet." Uh, I, I'm a team guy, so tell me what I need to do to to make that work, and and we'll do it. And they said, "Well, you got to run the 3,200 meters." Now, math was my strong point in school, uh, science second, English was way down on the bottom somewhere, uh, but I started doing the math, 3,200 meters, that's eight laps around the track, eight laps around the track, every four is a mile, that's the two-mile, coach, and he said, Chris, you're correct, that is the two-miler, and I said, well, we'll do it. I stepped up with my pole vaulting outfit on, which was the same outfit that everybody else wore, so I looked like I fit the part. But everybody else had these cool-looking high-dollar running shoes, and all I had was spikes that you would normally run sprints or that you did pole vaulting in. And so I, I thought, well, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I transitioned real quick into a different pair of shoes. The gun went off, and, man, I took off out on the line. I rounded the, the turn one, and when I got through turn one, I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, man, I'm the only one out here. Not only am I going to place and get some points, but I might win this thing. By the time I got to turn three, heading back to the finish line after turn four, I got to thinking, this is ridiculous. Everybody else was starting to catch me because I took off so fast. I can remember completing about three laps, so I was one lap short of a mile. And as I got to the the start-finish line, I can remember just stepping off the track. I remember Coach Hudgens and Coach Simpkins are looking at me like, what's wrong? Are you hurt? Are you injured? I'm like, no, I'm tired. I'm hot. I wasn't built for running two miles. I'm done. I'm not doing this. Um, Here's the problem is I did not finish that race. Now, nobody's ever going to remember that. I'm sure Coach Hudgens and Coach Simpkins probably don't remember that. My team probably doesn't remember that, but I remember that. I I remember having this feeling in my head over the years and even today uh, that I did not finish well. And so I I learned an important thing that spring. Whatever you start, you need to finish it well. And I've tried to live by this philosophy my entire adult life. I can say with complete confidence, listen to me, I can say with complete confidence that I haven't always succeeded in that, but I have always tried. Since becoming a believer in the gospel, I've read verses like this, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Philippians, Paul writes in in 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day Christ Jesus returns. 1 Kings 6.14, so Solomon built the house, and listen to what it says, and finished it, and on and on. And as I look at the lives of the disciples, men who were closest to Jesus and sold out for the gospel and committed to the end, I I see these guys that that were willing to give up everything. They found themselves martyred for the faith, all but one, not because they sat around in some room and sung a few songs and listened to some guy preach. There are probably millions of people over the years that have done that, and many more people who would say they would never be committed at all to the same thing that the disciples were committed to. So sitting around in a room listening to sermons and singing worship songs, 
Does it make you committed? So what's the secret? How do you finish well? How do you become so sold out for the faith and in this life just like being a disciple? Well, first, you must understand what it must, what you must do to be a disciple. To die without Christ, that's a loss. When they bury you, someone will stand there and they will say or think to themselves, depending on how big your relatives are, they did or did not finish well. I've had the opportunity over years to not only conduct weddings, but also conduct funerals. Some of those funerals were some people that were close, close, close to me. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were a believer in Christ. And so it was easy for me to stand there in front of that casket and say they finished well. But I've also had those instances where people have come to me and said, Chris, I had a family member die. Um, they really didn't go to church. They, they don't have a pastor. Would you mind doing it? And so I would go sit with that person that uh, asked and I would say, well, tell me about your uncle. Tell me about your cousin. Tell me about your friend. Did they know Jesus Christ? And they said, well, I'm not sure. Did you know that they ever placed their trust in him? I don't think so. And so with those, it's kind of hard to stand there and say that they finished well. I mean, maybe they finished some things well, but I'm not sure that you could ever say they finished life well. So what are the keys to finishing well? I'm going to give you the four things up front, then we're going to kind of discuss them, and then we'll just move on from there. The first thing to finish well is you've got to spend every day in God's presence and not in his proximity. The second thing is this, that you have to surrender every day to the gospel. Third, you have to strive to live a life of sacrifice. And then four, you have to trust God's plan because God loves you. So the, today, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. We're going to spend just a minute there, and then we're going to look at these four things and see how they apply to our lives and how we can become better at them so that we can finish well. But as we get started today, would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to spend a little bit of time together, that you've given us to spend time with you. And so, God, I pray that as we look at these four things, as we look at your word, God, may you speak to us so clearly and in such a way that it changes our lives, not for the moment, but for eternity. And God, we'll be quick to give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory because you and you alone truly are an awesome God. Lord, we love you and say these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So if you look at me with Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul here is, is sometimes accredited with writing the book of Hebrews, although it wasn't until the fourth century that uh, Western religion kind of acknowledged or said that, yeah, it was possible that he could because the book is written a little bit different than Paul's other letters. And so there's a there's, there's kind of a little debate if church history uh, is something you're interested in of who wrote the book of Hebrews. So for this uh, particular case, we'll just say the author of. So the writer here says that we're in a race. 
It doesn't say that it's a sprint, the kind of race that I talked about earlier when I was looking forward to only running 40 yards at a time. He says, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an endurance race. It's going to take some time. Verse 3 ends with saying this, do not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, I believe what the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 is saying is finish well. We said just a minute ago to finish well, the first thing we have to do is spend every day in God's presence not as proximity. Author Gary Chapman writes a book called The Five Love Languages. I've used this book many times in in marriage counseling and in counseling couples that are getting ready to, uh, to, to spend lifetime together. And I'll talk about using this book and reading it, understanding what your love language is. And one of the love languages that Gary Chapman talks about in his book is quality time. Matter of fact, what you find is most men uh, fall within two categories of the five love languages. Either their love language is um, physical touch or their love language is words of affirmation. Uh, for me, mine is words of affirmation. And most women fall in two categories. Theirs is either physical touch or it's quality time. And here's what Gary Chapman says about quality time. The quality time is about a meaningful conversation. It's about sitting knee to knee, listening to your partner or listening to your spouse. It's not about um, just sitting somewhere on the couch and saying, hey, we're enjoying this game together. And so therefore we're spending quality time. No, he says that it is more important to have um, be in somebody's presence than just to be in their proximity. That's what quality time is. And so every day we should look to spend it in God's presence, not his proximity. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, we find a story that illustrates this point very well. Listen to what it says. It says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home, welcomed him into her home. And she said, uh, and she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up, up to him and said, Lord, do not, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Goes on to say, then, then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus and his disciples are traveling along, and as he's going, he's doing what he always does. He's teaching. And when we pick up in the story of Martha invites Jesus into her home to spend some time with with her and and her sister, uh, this is uh, the same thing that we do. Right? Jesus comes along in our life and we in spite we invite him into our hearts, which is our home, to spend some time with us. It's that whole thing if you're giving a gospel presentation and invitation, you say, Are you ready to ask Jesus into your heart? So we as believers do the same thing that Mary and Martha we find them doing here. They invited Jesus into their home. For us, in a figurative speech, we invite Jesus into our heart. But I believe when we do, we find ourselves either like Martha or like Mary. See, Martha was so busy in her life that she didn't have time for Jesus. She wasn't doing bad things. I mean, she was going around preparing things, getting things together. She wanted to probably give Jesus some food. She probably wanted to give him some some drinks. She probably wanted to make sure the house was cleaned up. She wanted to do all these things in serving him. And so the things she was doing weren't bad. Matter of fact, they were good things. And she was trying to make everything right. But we're the same way as believers. We find ourselves as believers running around doing different things in life, and they're not bad things. We're, <coughs> excuse me, we're working, 
trying to make money for our family. Maybe we're taking our kids to sporting events. Maybe we're helping them with homework. We're doing tasks around the house, like cleaning it or doing laundry. These, these are not bad things, but they're things that distract us from being in the presence of Christ. Yeah, we're all about being Marthas. But to finish well, we need to be Mary's. Did Mary care about the other things? Did she care about Jesus and his food and his drink and whether he was comfortable and whether the table was clean? I, I believe that she cared. I believe in her heart she wanted those things to be good. The word doesn't really tell us whether she does or doesn't, but I can only imagine that she did. However, all of that fell to the side in comparison to being with Jesus, to being in his presence. And so like the song she wanted to set at his feet, drink from the cup in his hand, she wanted to lean back against him and breathe. She wanted to feel his heartbeat. And to do those things, we can't do it just by being in his proximity. We have to do those things by being in his presence. So church, don't confuse your proximity to Christ and the things of Christ with being in his presence. There is absolutely a difference. The second thing we see if we want to finish well is we have to surrender every day to the gospel. If you're a believer listening to this message today, then you and I must come to grips that we are sinners. Redeemed, yes, by the blood on the cross, but still sinners. Every day there should be a goal to look more like him and less like us. And we cannot, listen to me, we cannot do that without surrendering to the gospel every day. In Luke chapter 22, when it came time for Jesus to surrender his life, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Talking about the Father. Each and every day we are surrendered to the will of God, which is to die to ourselves and the sin in our lives. The only way we do this is to surrender to the gospel. It doesn't mean that each day we must ask for forgiveness because we blew salvation the day before. Listen, there are religions here that we deal with in America every day, and those people that we call friends that maybe subscribe to these religions, where they believe that each and every day they sin and come short of the glory of God, and then they must again ask for salvation to be saved again. And, and I don't believe that. Um, Jesus' very word is very clear in Romans chapter 5 that our salvation is eternal. But you and I know that every day we still sin. So every day we must confess that sin and be reminded of the grace offered through Christ on the cross. We must say, forgive me for I am a sinner and cleanse me for your glory today. So we must surrender every day to the gospel. Three, we must strive to live a life of sacrifice. Sacrifice is one of those words that we don't talk a lot about in, in the culture today. Nobody wants to sacrifice their money. Nobody wants to sacrifice their time. Nobody wants to sacrifice their talents. Surely nobody wants to sacrifice their family or their kids. Sacrifice is just not a word that we talk a lot about in today's culture. But let's take a look at Romans 12 and break it down just a bit. Paul has just spent the previous chapters explaining sin, salvation, sanctification, and sovereignty. And now here in Romans chapter 12, Paul does what the Holy Spirit also does in our lives. He encourages you and I to act on this truth. He says this, I urge you, the Greek word here is parakaleo, to urge, to call, to exhort, to encourage. It carries a lot of weight behind it when he says, I urge you. To urge what? 
to live a life of sacrifice. What does that look like, though? I mean, we can talk about what living a life of sacrifice looks like, but if we don't really understand what it is, then how can we ever do it? So let me help you just a way. The writer of the commentary on Romans 12 puts it this way. One, we sacrifice ourselves in order to pursue his will. Do you not know that it would be easier for me to stay at FBC Rock Hill as the high school and college pastor than it would be to go to this new church at, at, as the senior pastor at Sandy Plains? I mean, it, it would be much easier. Um, not that it's easy um, because college ministry and high school ministry isn't something that's, that's easy, but I know it and I know it and I, and I think I actually do it kind of well. And I don't mean that in a, in a braggadocious way. I, I mean it with all humility, but I've been doing this for 22 years now. And so if I were looking for the easy road out, I would just stay here at First Baptist as the high school college pastor and just finish on out. I mean, I'm 51, so I only have, what, another 30 years to work? Um, and I could do that without a whole lot of um, taxing on who I am and, and the things that I do. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to call me out to be a senior pastor. And I'll be honest with you, it is a position that is bigger than me. Um, it is something that is going to require a lot of work on my part, which I'm committed and ready to do. Um, but the easy thing would be to stay here. But we have to sacrifice ourselves in order to pursue his will. Second thing is each and every day we are to become more like Christ and less like the world by, Paul says, the renewing of our mind. See, we, we can't let Satan in the doors of our head. Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. I, I remember going to a conference uh, four or five, six years ago where the gentleman out of Texas was teaching on uh, gender development and gender identity. And he talks about those that are wrapped up in the sin of homosexuality. And he begins talking about, can, can we be saved from that? Can we, can we be changed? Or is it something that's with us all of our life? And he references Paul's words when he says, but by the renewing of your mind. It's the whole changing of what's going on in the head and allowing God to refresh that, reset it, if you will. And so we can't let Satan into our head. And there's there's three areas where we can let Satan into our head or three doors by which he can come in. The first door is by the ears. It's the things which you and I hear. It could be on the radio. It could be on TV. It could be in the community. I can remember last week being at um, Northwestern High School. And as I was standing in the cafeteria waiting to feed the football team, myself and Steve Polk and his wife, I can remember they, they bring the bus riders in uh, to hang out in the cafeteria till the bus gets there. And that's the same place where you feed the football team. So there's this dance that takes place. So as we're sitting there waiting on the bus riders to get called out, the football team to come in, there was this group standing over to my right and they were sitting on the tables and they were being kind of loud. And then I can remember hearing one guy just a couple times and he, he used some words that uh, are not appropriate for teenagers. They're not appropriate for people at all. And they're definitely not appropriate for a believer. And I can remember going over to him and saying, hey, you need to change your language. I thought that would be the end of it and all would be well, but that we fed the football team. I went to the game that night as I was sitting in the stands. I was I was sitting beside Miss Frankie and, and we were watching the game. We were talking about Butch Wendell because, uh, I mean, after all, Butch Wendell gives you plenty to talk about. Um, but we were talking about him and I can remember there was a group of students sitting right behind me just off my right shoulder. And as I was sitting there, uh, a couple of the students began using language again that I don't use. And I can remember turning around and saying, hey, look, I, I would really appreciate that if you're going to use that language, you could just slide down a little bit. And the one young lady said, oh, that wasn't me. And the other young lady sitting beside her must have been her because she rolled her eyes at me. 
Um, I, I will tell you this. I didn't leave it at that. Uh, I can remember just maybe 20, 25 minutes later, another young man come up and sat down beside him, and he said something that he shouldn't have said. And the two girls immediately said, hey, watch your mouth. He doesn't like that kind of language. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to turn around to him and say, hey, look, I, I'm not mad at you. I just want you to understand that I'm a pastor and those words hurt my ears. And there are other people sitting around you that don't want to hear that either. So please understand I'm not mad at you. But one of the ways by which Satan gets into the doors of our head is by our ears and the things that you and I hear. The second way is by our eyes. It's the things which you and I see. See, here's the truth. Those of you that that have a cell phone, those of you who have a computer, um, those of you that work with those, you know that you do not have to go looking for things that shouldn't enter your eyes. They just show up. You can be um, very innocently looking at a Facebook page or very innocently looking at Instagram or very innocently looking at Twitter, whatever that might be. And the next thing you know, you're seeing something that you know that you and I should not be seeing. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. But yet Satan uses that door to get into our mind. And the third one is by the mouth, the things which you and I say. And that's not necessarily an entry door as much as it is an exit door. So the things that we've taken in through our eyes and the things that we've taken in through our ears, they tend to come out through our mouth. Three, each believer is gifted by God for service in the church, so we are to serve. I'm going to tell you this as my last message for First Baptist and going out. Many of you are serving well, but there are many in this church. And so I want to encourage you, get up out of your seat, go find a pastor today and say, how can I serve? And I know what you're thinking. If they need me, they'll ask me. Listen, it's not their job to come ask you. It's your job to go make yourself available. So go serve if you want to live a life of sacrifice. For a life of sacrifice means that we love our enemies as much as our friends. Man, we love our enemies as much as our friends. I'm going to miss a lot of people here at First Baptist because I've just fallen in love with you. So many of the students that gave me such a hard time when I got here or still give me a hard time today, uh, I know how they feel about me, and I feel the same way about them. There's this mutual love, and we pick back and forth. Uh, But this says that if we're going to live a life of sacrifice, then we must love our enemies as much as we love our friends. So those people that have wronged me, that have done things to me, that have hurt me, i got to love them as much as those that haven't, that I would call friends. And then five, because God has overcome the evil in us by love, we are to overcome the evil in others by the same way, with love. So that's what it looks like to live a life of sacrifice. That spring day in 1989 on that track running the 3,200 meters, I could have surrendered a lot of my wants and needs to honor and give to the team. I chose not to. I didn't finish, much less finish well. If I would have lived a life of sacrifice that day, we would have got a couple extra points. So what do you and I sacrifice on a daily basis that is surely leading to us finishing well? Four, in order to finish well, we have to trust God's plan because of God's love. Since the day I was born, it seems like there was always a plan. From the ages of one to 18, my parents planned that I would go to school, and so did the government. I got thinking about this as I was as I was writing this out. Like, when did the government get a say so on whether I become educated or not? I mean, can't my parents just decide that? It's a whole other story. We won't talk about it. At 16, the plan was to get a driver's license. 
at the age of 19, I went into the Marine Corps where there was definitely a plan. Their battle plans, their flight plans, their promotion plans, they plan everything. In ministry, there's a plan. We work those plans every week and we talk about them in staff meetings. Matter of fact, just before I came over here to record this, I had an email about uh, another Sunday talking about the outline of the service and the plan and was everybody good with the plan and did we have any issues with executing the plan? God has a plan as well. So what's the plan? Jesus says in John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So would it be safe, very safe to say that Jesus knew God's plan for our life? I believe so. His first plan for our life is that we would know him, not from the head knowledge, but with all that we are, that the whole in our life would be filled with the only piece that fits in it, and that's Jesus. Listen, on my last Sunday to be able to share a message with you, there would be nothing greater for me to give you and nothing greater that you could do to um, say thank you than to know what God's plan is in your life, to, to know that Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfect life and died, not just so that he could stand up and say, look what I did, but he did it for you and I. Because of sin in our lives, the things that we do that, that separate us from the Father, Jesus said, I'll take all that and put it on me. And he said, I'll do it so that you can know the Father that I'm doing it for. And so there would be nothing greater for me than to you to trust in that today. So he knew the plan. Jesus uh, says in Luke chapter 19, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His first plan in our life is that we would know him. Second, I believe that God wants to use us, every one of us, in accomplishing the plan in others' lives. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the great, great commission, he is promoting us to be used by him in a way that's bigger than ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 28, look, go therefore, I am sending, go do this. I want to use you in this kingdom building process. Who? Every believer, not just a pastor, not just a youth pastor, not just a deacon. He said, I want to use every believer in my mission, in my plan. Who am I though that God would choose to use me? I have nothing to give, no talents, no gifts. I'm inadequate in my actions, in my words. That's what many of us would say. Listen, I can remember before I went into the ministry, um, I was teaching a sixth grade Sunday school class of guys. And I can remember people talking about pastors and, and there, there was a need for pastors in the church today. And I got to thinking, that is not me. I'm struggling to sit in front of 12 sixth grade boys to teach them God's word. There is no way I would stand up in front of 200, 500, 2,000 people and preach God's word, yet God made a liar out of me. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will advise you with, with my eye upon you. See, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call, and he is calling you and I. And if we would just surrender to that so that we can say we lived a life and finished well, He'll equip everything that he wants us to do. Just surrender to whatever that is. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord's. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. In school, life, the Marine Corps, ministry, the plans didn't always work out the way they were drawn up. However, in God's economy, that is never the case. They always work out. 
We serve a big God with big plans. He never sits back and says, I didn't see that coming or, well, that didn't go as planned. We might think that because of what we see in the world around us with all these natural disasters and death and and destruction and chaos. But listen, don't give up. Trust the plan. It's God's plan. Trust the plan because of what you not not because of what you can see, but because of what his love is for us. So quick question. How many of you right now are sitting beside somebody that you love? I'm not talking about love like I love cheesecake and I love this person beside me, but you love deeply. So here's what I'm asking you to do for just a second. And this is a little bit weird because you're watching online. I'm just going to ask you to grab their hand. Maybe you're riding down the road. You're listening to this this morning or this afternoon. Just just grab the person beside you's hand. Maybe you're sitting in the living room, uh, maybe wherever that is. Just whoever that person is that you love deeply, just grab their hand for me real quick. When I say amen, this will be my last service with you guys. My hope is that I'll get to come back from time to time and be a part of the fellowship. However, we could be separated for eternity. Never see each other again in this life. But I tell you what, if you're willing to sacrifice the person beside you, whoever that is that you're holding your hand, if you're willing to sacrifice them and let them die a cruel death, because I don't think it would be painless and, and easy, but if you're willing to let them sacrifice a cruel death to be beaten, humiliated, and hung on a cross, then I'll stay. I'll stay with you. I'll stay here at First Baptist. If if you're willing to sacrifice them because you think that you might not get to see me and you're willing to sacrifice them to a cruel death to be beaten, humiliated, hung on a cross, that person that you love so deeply, then I'll stay. What do you say? I'm guessing that if you're listening or watching this right now, before I finish the sentence of saying, would you be willing? You had already said no. I would have. I sit in service every week with my wife, who I love deeply, sometimes with my oldest daughter, who I love deeply. And if you would ask me, hey, Chris, this guy's willing to stay if you're willing to sacrifice them, the answer would be no. By far, no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not that he didn't love him, but that he loved you and I just as much. That we would be called sons and daughters. He loves you. He loves me. And so because of that, we can trust the plan. So I want to finish well in everything that I do. I wanted to finish well when I left Flint Groves after 17 years as their pastor to students. I wanted to finish well when I left Curry Beach First Baptist Church as their senior pastor. I want to finish well as I'm leaving First Baptist Rock Hill. And then whatever else God plans for me to do, I want to finish well. But I can only do that by spending every day in his presence and not his proximity. By surrendering every day to the gospel. By striving to live a life of sacrifice. And by trusting God's plan because of God's love. Would you do the same? Pray with me. Father God, we love you and thank you for the day. God, my prayer is that Everyone listening, watching, to include myself, would always desire to finish well in whatever we do, but especially in this life. 
God, may we take count the things that you've shared today. May we apply them in our lives. And God, may you be honored and glorified by it. And we love you and say these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. So for the last time, hey, thanks for listening. It's been fun. And I know we'll see each other again. Hope you have an amazing day. God bless.